Good morning. It's always a privilege to uh, be with you and to bring God's word. Uh, one of the things that I, I told Greg earlier this week when I saw how incredible our worship was going to be with the orchestra and all the, the people, I said, you know, I can do a really poor job on the sermon and nobody will notice because it's such a spectacular time of worship. But I pray that the Lord will allow his word to minister to us and to challenge us this morning. For those who have been around Village 7 for, let's say, around seven years or less, uh, you might not know this, and maybe some others might not know this, that Lori and I uh, served as missionaries with Mission to the World in the Philippines for six and a half years. And we came back uh, due to health of a uh, of our oldest son, uh, Chris, and we came back and not knowing what would happen, but in God's goodness, I was able to continue with Mission to the World, and I served on the leadership team, and then I was involved in Mexico, and then eventually became a regional director for Central America and the Caribbean. Why I'm telling you this is that through that God would show me of 25 years in world missions, God gave, it was a privilege that God would show me how he was working, his plan of redemption was being laid out around the world. And I'll be sharing some of that with you this morning as well as we look at our passage, that the nation shall come to your light. Father, we do ask that you would be with us and bless us uh, this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So he starts out, Isaiah starts out with this thing, with two imperatives uh, for Israel. He says, arise, shine. Your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So those two imperatives, to arise and to shine. And these are a command, but these commands are accompanied with the, the source, the ability to fulfill. Uh, he's the one that allows them to arise. He's the one we'll see that allows them to shine. Uh, one of the commentators gave an example of this. He said that uh, when Jesus says to the leopard, be clean, the leper has no ability to cleanse himself. But it's only when Jesus says, Israel, when God says to you and I, let your light shine before others. In ourselves, we don't have the ability, but God gives us the ability through the Spirit and through shining His light upon us. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And so we see that God is giving this, this, his church, Israel, who has been afflicted, and who has been deep, oppressed, and who has been ridiculed, and who are, are lost in a way. He's giving them a hope in the midst of all this to restore their brightness, to restore their hope. God is pleased to display his light and his grace upon them and in doing so to use them to reach the nations around them. Every, almost every week, the benediction that we give uh, here at church, especially Chris, is the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance upon you and give you peace. That whole concept of, of God shining his face upon us and changing our countenance is what Israel is being promised here and is what we are being promised here as well. This year for um, VBS, 
Uh, One of the lessons that we taught, they had these little characters every week that the kids could take home, these little plastic figurines. And one of them was a a moon. And I can't remember the names of all these things. You know, we were, uh, but I'm I'm sure there's a bunch of kids out here would remember what was the name of that little moon character. And one of the things they did is they glowed in the dark, but they didn't glow in the dark on their own. They only, because if they were exposed to light and they absorbed the light, then they were able to glow. We are like the moon. This little moon character reminded me that the moon does not have light in and of itself. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. We too are to shine before the nations, but we can only shine because we reflect the light of Christ in our lives. And that's the same thing that he's saying to Israel at this point. He's saying, you will shine because my light will shine upon you and you will reflect my light to the nations. Why do we have a need for light? Look at this verse. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. As I was thinking about this, I thought, we don't get it here very often, but whenever you're shrouded by fog and you can't see anything around you, That's the picture that came to my mind. That is the the darkness, is that people are, are living in a fog and they don't know where to go and they're almost blind. We've been studying Galatians prior to the summer. We'll actually come back to it in two weeks. And we'll begin with the fruit of the Spirit. But for right now, where we ended up, and I think it was on Mother's Day, it was great. We ended on Mother's Day with the, uh, the sins of the flesh, right? Uh, all the characteristics of sin. And this is why, this is why there needs to be light. The sins of the flesh are sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of, and things like these. These result in sorrow, in pain, in destroyed families. It results in emotional and physical brokenness. And even though darkness covers the whole earth, and even though every person, aside from Christ, is polluted to their core, this terminology uh, uh, that, that Isaiah uses right here is a completed, it's like the verb is like a completed uh, sense that God has already done it because of his grace. Because of in sin and in darkness, we have no hope. But in Christ, there is hope because he is light. One of the things that I thought about this week is maybe you've seen this photo as well. Uh, it's a photo that came from NASA. And it's a picture of the Korean Peninsula at nighttime. And I couldn't find a good enough quality of a picture to have us put up on the uh, screen. But just imagine you have the, the, the whole Korean Peninsula that comes down. And the northern part, North Korea, is absolutely dark. And South Korea is lit up like Christmas. North Korea is notorious for being the number one persecutor of Christians in the world for I don't know how many years, at least 14 or 15 years with open doors, watch, you know, uh, 
the watch um, list that they have of persecuted churches, persecuted people. And so to be there, to be a Christian there is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Then on the other hand, you have South Korea, where the church has grown exponentially since after World War II. And they are the second largest sending, mission sending organ, uh, country in the world next to the United States because of the light of the gospel. It's a great illustration for me as I think about the light and the darkness. And as I think about light and darkness, you, can, you have to think about John chapter one. Because in John chapter one, we have this description, this picture of who Jesus is. And in this picture, we see that he is light in darkness. Let me read some of these verses. In him was life and the light Life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John chapter 8, again Jesus spoke and said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have the, this idea that Jesus is the life, that Jesus is the light of the world, and that we are to find our hope in him. To the blind man, he says, I am the light of the world, and healing him. In John chapter 12, we see, I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. We see this incredible description of Jesus and why he came. Because the world is in darkness. And God is the light that brings hope and salvation and brings eternal life. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of gives us a switch here. He says, not only am I the light, but you are to reflect me. You are to be a light as well. He says that uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to be the light of the world. Just like as Israel, God says, Israel, my light will shine upon you and you will be a light to the nations. Jesus is saying to us, as my light shines upon you, you will be a light to those who are around there. Now, we don't really understand, I don't think, uh, clearly the extent of, of the impact that a lamp can have in darkness. Because all we have to do is walk into a room, turn on a switch, right? And we have light. Uh, if you go outside during the, uh, in a city like Colorado Springs at nighttime, and so you really don't grasp the, the darkness around us and the power that light has upon us. Unless you go up to the mountains and you get away from everything and, then, and you carry around your flashlight or if you get out in the countryside where there's nobody around, 
You can really experience it. I remember Lori and I, our first mission trip, one of the places, we went, we went to Kenya, Africa, and one of the places we went to was called, a place called Muthathani. It was in the middle of nowhere. There was not electricity for miles and miles around. And it was incredible because one night, I remember, it was so clear out. And we were walking from where we had dinner to uh, where we were staying and following this path. And we, it was the southern hemisphere, so we saw the southern cross. We saw the, the Milky Way like you would see in pictures that you get. We didn't even need to use our flashlights because the stars would light our way. And that's when you can really understand when Jesus says that to put your lamp up on the table so all can see, he's saying live your life in a way so that people can see that you're my follower, that you belong to me. Let your light shine before others. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And I think we like a couple of phrases in here. We, okay, yeah, we're going to shine as lights in the world. That's great. We understand that. And yes, we do live in a crooked and twisted generation. Do you notice that's how he described the times back then? Things have not changed, have they? We live in a twisted and crooked generation. But you see how we are to do this, how we are to shine forth? This was our favorite parenting verse, by the way. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And, until we looked at ourselves, right? Until we were convicted. But you see what Paul is saying is one of the ways in which we shine as light before the world around us is how we, do we engage with the world around us? Are we known of being gracious and kind? Are we known to be having words of grace and words of life? Or are we known for having words of death? Are our words filled with grumbling and disputing? Or are they filled with grace and kindness? As, as Lee mentioned, uh, this fall we're gonna be studying building bridges like Jesus. And just seeing how Jesus engaged with different people and how can we learn to engage with the world around us as well. Or you can look at the mission statement of Village 7, which we've been kind of tinkering with. And we could say that our mission is to, to make and to equip joyful Christians who live out, the live out and proclaim the gospel in Colorado Springs, the West, and the world. So are we known to be in joyful Christians who live out the gospel of grace? Not only in our families, not only at Village 7 on a Sunday morning, but everywhere we go, where we live, work, and play. Is that who we are known for? That's what God wants us to be like. So the next stage is that when God's people shine the light of Christ, uh, live out the gospel, what happens? He says it here, but the Lord will raise up upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and the nations will come to your light. Once again, we see that it's the light of God that reflects off, that we are reflecting uh, in how we live by the grace of, the, of God, by the grace of the Holy Spirit. But as we reflect 
who Jesus is in our lives, in our relationships, then other people are drawn to it. And so one of the things that I thought about was the, the plan to reach the nations. Some people have thought that maybe the plan to reach the nations was like, like plan B for God. It never was, it was always plan A. It was always God's desire that through Israel, through his people, through his church, the nations would, would come to him. That was his desire, that was his plan of redemption. And so we can see that in a variety of ways. John Stott says this, most Christians believe that the basis for world mission can be found in isolated parts of the body called, uh, the Bible called the Great Commission passages. Actually, missions is much more fundamental to all of scripture. God's worldwide purpose is, in fact, the basis for the entire biblical revelation. We're gonna to touch on just, I'm gonna read just a couple of Old Testament passages that reflect this. God's desire for not just Israel, not just his people, but all nations and all peoples to worship him and to come to him. We start in Genesis chapter 12, the covenant promise made to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, leave your country, your people, your family's household and go to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Do you see that all the nations, all the peoples of the world would be blessed through Abraham? In Psalm 67, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Not just the Israelites, but all the people. Because that's his art. God is creator. And as creator, he not only deserves our worship, but he longs for our worship. He longs for relationship that the nations and the peoples of the earth would have with him. And then we come to Isaiah. I've always taught that Isaiah is the, the prophet of the nations because one of the purposes of Isaiah is to show that God's grace, that God's blessing upon them was not just for them, but was for the nations. So I'm just gonna give us a few of the passages in Isaiah. It shall come to pass in chapter two, in latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Isaiah 25, on, the, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined. In Isaiah 42, he's talking about the suffering servant. He's talking about Christ. And he says, I will make, I will give you a, as a covenant for my people, a light for the Gentiles. And then you go back to uh, when Christ was born and you have Simeon and he says that he would be a light to the Gentiles reflecting this verse. Isaiah 55 says, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God. 
And then later on in 66, is for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. They shall come and see my glory. And then the next part of, the, of the, our passage, uh, rejoicing in God's work of redemption. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. They shall thrill and exalt. Your heart will be like that, not because of, of them, but because of what God is doing among the nations. What God is doing will result in just a, in an, an awareness and a rejoicing and a praise of God's work of redemption among the peoples. We see the same thing in, in chapter um, 4 of Gospel of John. You, you know the story with the Samaritan woman. And so we see that Jesus goes to the well and, uh, you know, the, he sends the disciples down into the Samaritan town to, ga to gather some food and they come on up and they see him talking to this woman, which is really odd. We'll actually be studying that, that passage uh, next quarter. And he's, he, it's very odd and it's very uncomfortable for everybody involved. And then the, the woman leaves and all of a sudden, the town, she goes down and says, I think I've met the Messiah. He knows everything that I've ever done. And she leads the town back up to the well where the disciples are. And they're like, uh-oh, what is going on? And Jesus says, do not say three more months to the harvest. He says, lift up your eyes. Just like Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and see. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. So sometimes I don't think we are aware of who all God is working in their lives. And, and even taking the time to stop, to look up, to see what God is doing in those around us. One of the couple stories from uh, World Missions, when we were uh, working in Haiti, I remember the very first time I went there, uh, it just, you know, there was an oppressiveness. Uh, there was an oppressiveness because of the cultural situation, the political situation, uh, the unrest that was there, uh, the voodooism that was very prevalent, uh, and all the eat up in a place called Goina Eve. Um, we saw the Lord starting to work and to change hearts and to change uh, even communities. For example, Dosene, a small village outside of Gonaive. Uh, in this village, our missionary had said that previously when he first started going there, uh, he would hear the kids running around the village singing voodoo songs. Well, we ended up starting a church, starting a school. We had like 300 plus kids coming to the school from all sorts of little villages around and they would come. And then all of a sudden, instead of singing voodoo songs, they were singing Christian songs. Because the gospel tra can transform individuals, can transform families, can transform a community as well. Uh, a couple times I went to Cuba, it was really... Um, Discouraging in a lot of ways, uh, just the, the bleakness of it. 
Uh, there was a sadness. There was a uh, lack of hope in, in the average person's life. You'd go into a store and, and a lot of the shelves were empty. And there's hardly anything to buy. And the whole the churches. Uh, the churches were filled with young men who had a calling and a desire to start a house church in their neighborhood. The churches were full of people who were just absolutely starving for the word of God. In fact, there's one church that we worked with that they just on their own decided to care for the elderly in their neighborhood. They just started reaching out, caring for them, not to scold them, not to rebuke them, but to say, can you teach us how to care for our elderly? Because of the grace of God. Uh, then Sub-Sahara Africa. Uh, if you remember, uh, last year with our missions conference, Frank Sindler was here. And one of the things he talked about was how the church is just absolutely exploding throughout Sub-Sahara Africa. And that their need, they're, they're having a hard time keeping up with leadership for all that's happening uh, as well. Uh, you could talk about Myanmar. Uh, Lori and I got to go there, and I was there one or two other times before. And when we were there, uh, it was amazing. The first time I went there, we were doing a seminar up in the, what's called the Chin region, which is the northwestern part of, of Myanmar. And we went up there and teaching on evangelism and discipleship. And we had people coming from all these villages. We had a, a man who had come. I was going to say a young man. He's actually my age. He was young back then. And um, he had come to the United States and he studied at seminary. And he went back with this incredible vision to plant 20 churches in the Chin region. And so he went back there. And before, by the time we got connected with him, there were already probably uh, 14 churches that were established and we had this seminar and they came from all over this, this region. And for some of them to get there, it was a 20 hour trek. So they would take a bus, then they would get on a, uh, a truck that was you know, like sardines, an open-ended truck and down these bouncy roads. And then they'd have to walk the last six to 10 miles to get to where we were. And they did it because they were absolutely starving for the word of God. And they wanted to be together and they wanted to know how can we reach those around us? How can we shine as light before the Lord? Or we could talk about the fact that the church, in spite of persecution, the church is growing in places like China and India and many, many other places. Or we could talk about Iran. Christians in Iran face relentless persecution, ranked ninth in the open doors watch list of countries where it's the most dangerous to be a Christian. Open churches are forbidden. Converting to Islam is against the law. Uh, it is punishable by death for men and a life's imprisonment for women. And yet, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world today. Because of the light of the gospel. Because of the light of God. So, we should be see, we should look up, we should see what God's doing around the world, and we should be radiant. We should be thrilled. We should be excited. We should be praising the Lord. But so often our, our, we have a myopic vision of life, and we don't take the time to stop, to look up, 
and say, see what God is doing around the world. So get on some newsletters with missionaries. Uh, Pray through um, Operation World. Do something that allows you to learn what God is doing. Now, if Israel, at this point, all that that he's been talking to them about, if, if they weren't excited yet and amazed about what God was going to do through them, then the rest of the passage would just send them over the edge. So just listen to some of these things that God is promising to Israel. He says, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. They shall fly to you. They shall be like doves who fly through a window. They shall be streaming to you. Kings will come to you. A multitude of camels. I guess that's cool. you know, they shall bring gold and, and frankincense. They'll bring good news. This, this one's my favorite. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So in other words, they will come praising God and exalting that God is at work in their midst. Isn't that exciting? And then their flocks will be gathered to you. Rams will come to you. He says, and I will beautify my beautiful house. And those who uh, fly will be like doves to the windows. And then he keeps going on and they shall build your walls. Why? How does this happen? For the name, the reason is for the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Because, listen to this, he has made you beautiful. See, there's nothing in Israel of themselves that was beautiful. It was only the fact that they, like the moon reflects the sun, they were reflecting the light of God. We are not beautiful, except for the light of Christ reflecting in our lives. And so they should rejoice, not because of them, but because of what God God has done in their lives. It made me think of John chapter 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the, the will of my Father, and everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so I love this. I love the fact that, you know, Jesus is saying that I will not lose even one that the Father has given to me. And it's a promise that we hold on to maybe for loved ones, maybe for friends, maybe for that neighbor across the street that you've just built a relationship with. Maybe it's a coworker. Uh, maybe it, it could be even a stranger in Safeway that shares their, their hurt with you. We don't know, but it, it, the promise is that all that belong to Jesus shall come to him. And God says, and how I'm gonna do that? I'm gonna do it through you. I'm gonna do it through you, reflecting my light to those around you, and they shall come in. In chapter 11, it says, Jerusalem gates will always stand open. For many will continue to enter to the ends of the earth until all of God's people are present. But then verse 12 is hard. 
But those who do not receive, those who do not enter, shall be punished. The reality of the gospel of good news is that those who do not receive Christ will perish. They will be under God's judgment. But only those who are received by Christ, those who come to Christ, are the ones who will receive eternal life. Amen. For any to come in, for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. But it's not, unless they come to Christ, they will not be saved. The very end, we didn't go all the way through the chapter, but in, cha- in verse 22, there's this statement, which is really powerful for us to consider. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. In its time, I will hasten. In other words, he's saying, I will guarantee that all this that I've been talking about, you know, all the promises that I have made, that the nations will stream to me through the light that my people are reflecting towards the nations. They will stream to me and I will fulfill it. I will complete it. So to give us a glimpse of heaven, I think the book of Revelation was written. I remember uh, being in a class with um, the professor and he talked about a seminar he taught and asked the, the, the adults what the purpose of, what was the theme of Revelation was. And they were all scared because they were thinking about all the prophecies and all the, the imagery and all that. So they, they didn't know. And this little kid up front, you know, 10 years old, kept waving his hand, waving his hand, waving his hands. Professor is ignoring him. Uh, and then eventually he says, okay, I'll just kind of, you know, well, what is, what's the theme? And the little boy says, Jesus wins. That's the theme. Jesus wins, and this is how he wins. Listen to these verses. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and carrying palm branches. That is a picture of God's fulfillment. That all nations, all people, all tongues would be a part of our family, part of God's family. And what's he say to you and I? He says, I want you to reflect my glory. I want you to reflect my grace. I want you to reflect my love before all those around you so that they may be drawn not to you, but drawn to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I'm not the light but he pointed people to the light. The light that people see in us is the light of Christ. And so we have to ensure that we are out there, that we're building those relationships and that by God's grace, we'll we'll take that lamp and we'll put it up on the table and boldly 
proclaim that I belong to Jesus. I'm his because of his grace. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that we can't do this on our own. We just can't. And so we pray that your spirit would help us, that your spirit would upon us, your grace upon us, uh, that we have peace. Father, may we share that peace with others. May we be quick to uh, speak of you and the love that you have shown us, that we may reflect your grace in our lives, not for our sake, but for your name and for the, your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.